You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. My name is Brad, and uh, I have the privilege this morning of introducing Ian to us. So a couple things that we value here at GCC. The first one is training up men to be pastors and elders uh, and leaders in the church. The second thing we value is hearing from a variety of voices in preaching. And so we try to put those things together and give uh, guys opportunities to preach. And so this morning, uh, we're going to hear from Ian. You've heard Ian sing uh, for, uh, for most of the Sundays this year so far. He's been uh, taking over leading our, our worship ministry, and he's been doing a really awesome job. I've known Ian for a while, seven years, something like that. Yep. Ian used to play for football for Oregon. He was a punter, uh, played in the national championship, punted, re- punted real well. Um, I've been hunting with Ian. We've done all kinds of stuff together. So Ian's an awesome guy, loves his wife super well, loves his kids super well, loves Jesus, and loves God's word. And so I'm super excited to hear from him this morning, and I know it's going to bless all of us as a church family. So Ian, take it away. Awesome. <laughs> I didn't play football. I'm not a football fan, so um, I know that sounds weird, but uh, if you have specific questions about punting, I'm more than happy to have a conversation about that. Anything outside of that, just watch the ESPN analyst. Um, You'll get way more information. Um, But yes, uh, my name's Ian Wheeler. Uh, My wife and I have been coming here to GCC for about two years now. Uh, We have two kids, uh, a daughter who is two. Her name is Lainey. And uh, I'm sure you heard my little guy, uh, Montgomery. He's seven months old and is very vocal. Um, uh, also, the worship director here at GCC, and it's been an honor to, uh, to sing and uh, worship with you guys on Sundays. Um, uh, and also really thankful to be uh, asked to preach. Um, it's an honor. Um, having been at GCC and seeing uh, the way that the word is handled here and the, the high pedestal that God's words put on Sunday uh, Every Sunday um, is something that uh, it's an honor to be called into um, and given the responsibility and the honor to preach. So uh, today we're going to be reading and continuing uh, in our sermon uh, series on the Beatitudes. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, uh, and we're going to be in verse 9 today. And it reads, uh, Blesses, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So if you're a Christian here today, I hope that you leave uh, encouraged, um, uh, just the, the gospel has been made known and that you have felt uh, affected by the, the beauty of scripture and ultimately what Christ has purchased for us in his life, death, and resurrection. Um, and if you're not a Christian, if you're here uh, exploring this, the claims of Christianity, first, we're extremely excited that you're here. Um, and I hope to give you uh, or to put a stone in your shoe. Uh, so as you leave today or go about through your week, uh, just something to think about um, and, and to meditate on. Um, but with that, uh, I'll pray and we'll get started here. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. Uh, we thank you for this morning, uh, a time to come and gather to reflect on uh, your word, how you have spoken to us, Lord, how we understand you uh, in this world that we live in. Uh, we also thank you uh, for your grace. As we sang uh, just moments ago, um, Lord, it's, it's by your grace that we're here, um, and it's by your grace that we have been reconciled back to you, um, Lord, and that you offer peace in that. Uh, so, uh, Lord, as we, as we walk through this sermon today, I pray that uh, you would be exalted, Lord, that your spirit would work 
uh, through me, that my words would be clear, that the gospel would be preached, um, Lord, and that your spirit would change lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, uh, title for today's sermon, uh, you can't give what you don't have. So a simple concept that I think rings true in many areas of life. If I don't have something, I can't give it. And specifically in the context of Matthew chapter 9, the verse is talking about peace and us being peacemakers. So we must have peace in order to give peace. Um, And ultimately that those who are peacemakers will be called sons of God. As we walk through this, uh, just an outline, we're going to define a few terms that I think are important for this verse. Um, And then we're just going to ask some questions and answer some questions that I think the text brings forward. Uh, Primarily, peace. uh, Do we have it? How does the world say that we get peace? How does scripture say that we get peace? Ultimately, what what is the truth? What is the answer to that? Um, And then lastly, how do we give it? So as we move into defining terms, I think it's uh, important that we talk about, uh, as we have many times in this series, uh, blessed. What, what does that mean as we walk through the beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. Um, for me personally, a word that I think rings true is joyful. Um, and, and by defining joyful, I mean uh, a happiness and contentment that is above life's circumstances. So the things that we've talked about, the gospel um, and the beatitudes, are things that elevate us outside of life's er- uh, circumstances and offer us the result of the ending of that verse, whether that's mercy or rest or, or joy. The next thing is peacemakers. So uh, I want to define uh, peacemakers this morning as people who cultivate wholeness. So as Hunter talked about earlier, it's not only just, you know, the, the certain areas in our lives where we experience peace, but it's ultimately that we are being made whole. And then lastly, uh, sons of God. So you'll notice daughters are not in that line, and I'm sure that's something that you've recognized just given our current context. Um, But I think it's important uh, to understand the culture and the context that this verse was written in. Uh, You know, this culturally is uh, bringing forth the notion that the sons are the ones who are given the inheritance in this culture. So although we are both sons and daughters to Christ, uh, to God ultimately, Um, This verse is talking about the inheritance that we are given as a family member of God's family. And then also it's important to stress that uh, what sons and daughters do. Um, I've got a seven-month-old, you know, and um, I'm sorry I'm sniffling. We've had a sickness come through our uh, house this week, and um, much like we imitate our father, uh, my son imitates me. So Meredith had this sickness as well, a trooper. She just powered right through it. No problem. Me, Tuesday, I was piled up, just a mess. Like, can't handle it, you know? Um, And the same is true with my son. Our daughter, when she teethed, not an issue. We'd just be like, oh, wow, she's got a full set of teeth. My son, he's getting one in, and he's just a wreck for a week. So uh, I know you can look at your parents and see the same thing. Uh, We imitate those who we're, we're in relationship with, ultimately. So the first question that we ask is peace. Do we have it? Um, So I'm just going to go through some scenarios in life that you may find yourself in. um, And I'll start with one that I found myself in. And uh, we'll just kind of see if, you know, is our natural tendency uh, peace? So my wife uh, and her family love playing games, Um, big game family. I did not grow up playing games um, and learning to love them. 
But in coming in uh, to these games, I'm a little behind the eight ball. Uh, they have years of strategy, years of games that they've played, so I lose all the time. Um, probably why I don't like games. Um, but there's this one game that we play that has a lot of strategy, but at the end of it, it's all luck. You know, you've got 12 cards in this game. You need one to win. You could have 10, which I did this game. And Mary Dear won with two. I had played a flawless game and I was enraged. Um, so much so that I actually had to get up and take a walk um, outside the house um, because I had given it my all. Um, and peace was not on the table at that moment. I also, uh, I get hangry. Um, if I miss a meal, um, if it's been too long, uh, I, I just forego peace. And uh, yeah, it's not on the mind. It's actually what, what is gonna give me some type of satisfaction. Um, I've played pickup basketball games with guys and things get out of hand. Um, when, when there's a bad call or uh, you're getting smacked, uh, peace is not. Uh, something that comes to mind. Uh, it is ultimately dominating, um, and I'm sure you've seen that in many other areas of your life. But what about uh, things, you know, that, that we all find ourselves? Uh, someone makes a mistake. Say you, you've submitted an assignment, uh, and you, you know you've got a correct answer, but the teacher made a mistake right away. There's, there's no, peace doesn't come to mind, right? It's, it's, it's being right. It's being made whole. Or what about when someone hurts you in a relationship? What comes to mind first? Is it separation or retaliation? Is, is it peace? Or what about uh, just today's climate, political discussions? If you have a conversation with someone uh, across the aisle with different views, would you, would you think of the word peaceful when you think about those conversations or what you see online? Or what about something good, like, like being misunderstood? Isn't that grounds enough to forego peace and, and bring conflict so that... Um, you're understood and that, uh, that you're, you're right? Or what about cultural or self-created uh, expectations? You know, we've got people in a lot of different life stages here, single, married, in college. Um, we all put these expectations in our lives, no matter where we're at, where we're at in our lives, um, that do not lend themselves to peace. A lot of inner turmoil and conflict comes from these expectations. But maybe it's something we grow into. Right, so uh, like I said, I've got a seven-month-old and a two-year-old. For some reason, a couple weeks ago, our two-year-old um, just thought it was a great idea to just run across the room and just fly and kick our seven-year-old in the back when he's like playing with his toys. And I promise I didn't teach her that. Um, it, it, it's just, they're not peaceful. Um, it's not a peaceful house sometimes. This morning was not peaceful. <laughs> what about, uh, you know, young, young adult or uh, young kids, you know, five to 12? Um, I know I wasn't peaceful, got in trouble for stomping on milk cartons at lunchtime and testing the limits of, you know, what wh I can get away with. Um, teenagers, yep, not peaceful. <laughs> Young adults trying to find careers. Uh, all these things, they're, they're just not times of peace in our lives. And as we run that all the way out into our final days on this earth, not, they're not peaceful. So clearly there's a problem. We asked a question earlier, do, do we have peace? Well, it seems like uh, we don't. And if we don't have peace, how are we supposed to be peacemakers? Because ultimately, we can't give something that we don't have. So the next question is, what does the world say about this? We clearly have an issue. Well, the world says uh, a couple things, and I think to keep it simple, we're gonna look at two ways that the world tries to create peace in our lives. One, internal, and then second, external. So I just went to Google, because that's kind of what I do a lot, um, and typed in, you know, how do I make my life peaceful? 
and clicked on the first thing. Um, and it was uh, peacerevolution.net. And I just pulled some things there that I found interesting. Uh, the first one being, uh, you need to find inner peace. Um, and they said, without inner peace, you will fill in a constant state of conflict. The next thing was, uh, be peace. Make a choice to not let death and killing be a part of your philosophy of living. The next thing was, uh, be the change that you want to see. It is within yourself that you need to stop violence and become peaceful. And then another thing from just kind of driving around town that I saw um, are the, the choose kindness signs that we see uh, in, in people's, people's yards. Um, and, you know, if we could just choose to be kind, um, that peace will, will, will be available to us. And the next thing that we'll look at is external. So um, back in 2020, there was a, a big movement and their tagline uh, was no justice, no peace. Um, this concept of without justice, there, there will be no peace. Um, so without a per perfect justicism, uh, a justice system, uh, we can't have peace, and we need to do something to fix that, which I fully uh, am on board. You know, as Christians, we are called to seek justice, to love mercy, um, and to walk humbly with our Lord. Um, but we'll get more into that uh, as we move forward. I just wanted to say that right off the bat so there's no confusion. Um, but there's another, another thing. At, at my work, uh, we're going through a leadership team development program. Um, and basically, it's giving us tools to work together. Um, and one of these tools is called the Peace Index. Um, I think I've got a slide for it here. But it's basically talking about the ways that our external lives or the things externally affect the peace that's in us. So this was brought to me uh, in one of our meetings, and I, I thought it was perfect uh, just to kind of summarize what the world has to say about peace. So purpose. So the percentage of all of these ultimately affect the peace that you experience. So purpose. Are you fulfilled, and do you know what your meaning is? Place. Is the place that you live, is it ugly, unhealthy, or inconvenient? Provision. Are you happy with the money that you make? Personal health. Are you physically, mentally, and emotionally healthy? And people, how healthy are your relationships? So that's kind of what we've walked through as a team, and, and I think um, a good summary of, of how the world tries to offer peace. So in summary, what does the world tell us about becoming a peacemaker? Well, ultimately that we're not that bad, and if we can do some of these changes, if we can find our inner peace, if we can make a few choices and begin to juggle the, the concepts in life, you know, the external things that we just talked about, then we can offer peace to others and ultimately fill it ourselves, which I think is something we all desire, right? And it sounds good at first, but I don't know about you, but it causes me to ask some questions just based off of my life experience. So things like, uh, or the things that I can't control, so other people in relationships, or what about injustice that we experience? You know, we talked about the, the grading assignment or, or, or things in, uh, larger than that in life when we experience injustices. Or a friend gets diagnosed with a serious disease. What about death? You know, it talked about not letting death be a part of your life, but ultimately it's something that we face. What about our clear lack of ability to change ourselves? I don't know about you guys, but I struggle to be consistent in working out and reading and living the lives that I need to live as a Christian, 
Um, heck, I, I can't get out of bed in the morning sometimes. The time change this morning was rough. Um, and I know I'm not alone. But in my reality, it would seem at best, at the best case scenario, this method of peace offers nothing but temporary fleeting peace. Here today, gone tomorrow. And there's a philosopher that once said, the only thing constant in life is change. And now what do we do with that? Is there peace that lasts? Is there a peace that rises above life's circumstances? Let's see what scripture has to say. The Bible wastes no time in giving us a different reason for why we are not peaceful by nature. See, God created this world, and he created us to be in relationship with him, ultimately to worship him and to joy, enjoy him forever. As humans, we were created to be worshipers, and we were created to worship. And the issue is that we've redirected our worship. Scripture says that we've turned from our worship to God, to ourselves, or to other created things in this world, whether that be careers, whether that be finances, whether that be relationships, whether that may be a sports career or your identity in the sports or the hobbies that we have. See, we've done everything but corrected our, our worship and put it back to our, our God. We've turned our back on our creator. And from the fall, from the first sin, we have an issue, an issue that's broken the deepest part of our being. Scripture says in, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord's about to bring um, judgment on the earth, and he says this. The Lord saw the wickedness of man, and the earth was great, and that every intention of the thought of the heart was only evil continually. And later in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, uh, Scripture reads that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, this misguided worship, uh, this sin, for a, another term for it, um, has separated us from a holy God. And because of this, we can't experience peace. The very purpose for which we were created is not being fulfilled. I'm a car guy, so naturally car analogies are easy for me. Um, but say you were just given a brand new 22, or 2022 Corvette Z06. If you don't know what that is, it's a really nice sports car. Okay, the purpose of this car is to go as fast as it can from zero to 60 and around a track as quick as it can. But say you've been given this car and then uh, you decide to just go inside and, and to fill it with things that look like a gas. So maybe you grab some apple juice from the fridge because it kind of looks like gas or some Windex under the sink for some sparkle or anything else that you can find, right? Something that resembles gas. I'm sure you could find a couple things that you could fill that car with and turn the ignition and it might spit and sputter. Heck, it might even run for a minute, right? And you would feel the excitement of, of this car beginning to live to its full potential. But this car would only be a fraction of what it was created to be. And in the meantime, you would be ruining the car, like totally ruining it. Well, you see, sin is the exact same way in our lives. We begin to take things that look like God, that promise us the offer, or give us the offer of, of what God has given us, and we begin to fill our lives with it. And we're going to experience some things from that, those, uh, those things that we fill our lives with. Maybe career does give us a sense of identity. Maybe it does give us hope. Maybe the finances and the identities that, that we put our, our faith in 
uh, offer things, but they're nowhere near the potential. We're, we're nowhere near the potential that we've been created for and worshiping the God who created us. And ultimately, that sin leads to death. Just like with the car, that's our ending. But God didn't leave us in this state. He had a plan, and he gave promises to his people. And throughout Scripture, he began to tell them who they should be looking for. And Isaiah chapter six, or Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, uh, gives some details about who God is going to bring to save his people. Uh, verse six: For us a child is born, uh, to us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. See, Jesus lived the life that we can't. He got out of bed when he needed to. <laughs> he, uh, he loved others when they persecuted him. Loving others even as they whipped and murdered him on that cross. In the middle of the gruesome execution, praying for those who were killing him. See, I deserved that death that Jesus died for my misguided worship and the sin in my life. We all deserved it. But Jesus took that for us, ultimately to reconcile us back to our Father. And he tells us to repent and to believe, to turn from our sin, to believe in him, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And Christ promises us that new heart and being reconciled to the Father. So how does Scripture say that we get peace? Scripture says that we're broken and we can't save ourselves. That God, has, uh, that God offers a path of salvation ult that ultimately offers peace, the peace that we long for. So how do we get it? We've read a couple different ways that, that peace can be offered in this world. And we just, we're reading out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Let the or, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So how do we become peacemakers? Well, I would say that the gospel, the good news that we just talked about, God reconciling sinners back to himself is the only path to receive peace that isn't changed by the circumstances of our life. We repent and we believe in the gospel. At the end of verse 9, we read, For they shall be called sons of God. And you see, when we are saved, we're given Christ's righteousness. We talked about how those who are sons or daughters imitate the Father and ultimately are given the inheritance of him. When Christ said it is finished on the cross in his last moments, he meant it. And there's such freedom, and not just freedom, but peace in knowing that I don't have to work my way to heaven. As you look around at other world religions or other philosophies and worldviews that, that, that people will accept, a common denominator is that there is work to obtain deity. It's either a process or a timeline or a balance of the good and evil in our lives that allow us to achieve some type of, of deity or, or salvation at the end of our lives. But you see, the Christian story is different. God put aside his deity, and he humbled himself to our level. It's a totally different story with a totally different kind of peace. We are forgiven, we are perfect, and we are free. See, this verse isn't saying that we have to be peacemakers to be saved but it's those who are saved that will be peacemakers. It's the sons and daughters imitating their father. And after thinking about peace in relationship to the gospel over the past month, 
think there's three elements that the gospel offers that are important for us to remember when talking about biblical peace. First being contentment. Second being unity. And third, justice. We're going to read from Philippians 4 here in a moment um, from a man who has experienced a life full of very unfortunate circumstances. Paul being shipwrecked, imprisoned, and many other things writes this in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly now that you have... uh, uh, I rejoice in the Lord greatly now that at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking and being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I know you've probably heard that last verse out of context. As a college athlete, I heard it all the time. But this verse isn't about doing superhuman things with the help of God. No, it's showing the beauty of the peace that the gospel offers. That no matter what the circumstances is, a man broken in prison with plenty with, with hunger, with need, any, any situation in his life, was able to experience the peace of God. I have the God of peace, and the God of peace strengthens me. This is a peace that the world cannot offer, and it's a peace only offered through the gospel. Next, another uh, part of the gospel that I think is important is unity. And unity must be present for peace to exist. We see this in Governments, we see this in contracts, uh, sports teams, or many other areas in life. Unity of vision creates peace. The gospel unifies people ultimately by humbling them. See, there's no first or second class citizen inside the family or the kingdom of God. Galatians 2 verse 8 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all unified with God. Unity is critical for peace in our lives, and it is only available through the gospel. Not only are we giving unity with the Father, but the the, uh, gospel also gives us unity of vision. This is something I think about often when I think, think about the world's attempts to bring unity or peace today. See, today, in today's postmodern world where truth is relative and everyone can divine, define terms for themselves, ultimately it dissolves unity. 
as I mentioned earlier, the choose kindness signs. And I don't think choosing kindness is bad. The verse that I referenced uh, talks about being kind um, to one another. Nor do I think signs are bad. But however, I think it's a great example of the culture today. It struggles to have unity in a postmodern worldview. And I bet if you knocked on 15 or 20 different doors, you would get 15 or 20 different answers for what it means to be kind. See, there isn't unity of vision. And if you break it down to the foundation, there is no peace. As Christians, we are unified in mission. That's what, uh, if you ask a Christian what choosing kindness looks like, Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31 reads this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And second, you should love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. This type of unity and vision, and also in purpose, is the type of, of unity that's needed for us to experience peace individually as well as culturally. It's a huge aspect of why we meet together and why we encourage one another day in and day out. And lastly, the gospel offers justice. The one, th- uh, one of the taglines, as we mentioned earlier, besides of COVID-19 for 2022, or 2020, uh, was no justice, no peace. And it was a chant that has profound truth in it, one that I've thought about so much since I first heard it. The God that we worship and the God that we love um, is a just judge. And when we sin against him, he has every right to bring down his wrath and his justice on us. But Christ stood in our place. See, Christ has given or had taken the punishment that we deserve that we might experience peace in being reconciled back to our Father. Peace only available, as we've mentioned many times before, through a right relationship with God. Worship pointed back at our Creator. And it's really important to note here that sin was punished. Without justice, there is no peace. This world is broken. The government's broken. And as Christians, we should expect this. Our hope is not in perfect peace or justice right now, although I believe 100% that we should be fighting for justice in this world. Our hope is in future justice. There's terrible evil in this world, and in God's story, in our Christian worldview, there will be justice for every evil act. And I spent a lot of time in college and science classes as I studied human anatomy chemistry, and many of the things that we study. And I often ran into the worldview of atheism and scientific uh, discovery. And there was one class where the teacher put up a slide that I will never forget. We were studying the central nervous system, specifically how neurons fire, and the sequencing that basically uh, allows us to to speak and and to use our bodies. She put up a slide with the picture of a brain and said, life is nothing more than neurons choosing to fire or not. And I thought, wow, what an empty way to live. Moments later, she talked about the nothingness that came once those neurons ceased from firing. And immediately, I struggled with the implications of a worldview that left the brokenness of the world at that 
see our God is just. And all the brokenness that we see in our own lives and in the world around us, inside of our worldview, without justice, there is no peace. But there will be justice. And ultimately, there will be peace. So lastly, as we move into how do we give peace, um, I'd like to read our verse again. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We've talked about the gospel, and one of my favorite theologians, R.C. Sproul, said this when asked about peace in relationship to the gospel. He said, if someone were to ask for a one-word description of what the gospel brings us, when we repent and believe, there is little doubt that most people would answer with one word, salvation. And certainly this is an appropriate reply, for we are all saved from the wrath of God when we put our faith in Christ Jesus. But there is another answer to this question. And that is the word peace. After all, Paul refers to the gospel as the, uh, the gospel of peace in Ephesians 6. And he also tells us that being justified by faith alone in Christ alone, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So those who put their faith in Christ, we've been offered peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. So, so now what? As Christians... We are called to be sons and daughters of our God, to imitate our fathers. So when it comes to application, what, what do we do? We live life like Jesus did. We turn our eyes to him. We continually repent and believe. We look to scripture, ultimately, how Christ loved those who were different than him. We pray for those who persecute us. We live lives that are guided by the gospel. As I mentioned, those that are, uh, loving those that are different from you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, Jesus says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So live lives that are changed by the gospel. And lastly, and most importantly, share the gospel with people. It's the only path for everlasting peace in an ever-changing world. You have it. So go share it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. Lord, that you've chosen to save a broken people and not only save them, Lord, but offer peace inside of a life that is full of changing circumstances. Lord, I pray that as we move forward um, into a time of communion, our hearts would be uh, just meditating on what you've done for us, Lord, and the the, the joy and the peace that we can have from being in a right relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.